Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in once again. It's David Summers hosting another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Now we step back into the ring, back into time. He's the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. What's going on, Ron? Oh, geez, man. Uh, it's a beautiful day here. Uh, going to have some little cold weather coming in here. Maybe going to freeze a few nights down the road here. But uh, beautiful today. And uh, gosh, uh, a lot going on, man. A lot of things happening and busy. Oh, no doubt. And uh, it's the perfect time of year. It's feeling so nice here in Southeast Alabama. The National Peanut Festival is in town in Dothan and the weather is absolutely perfect. It's warm in the daytime, and then it drops down to like maybe 57 or something like that. In the morning, feels real nice. Anyway, so listen, you've got a lot going on, and I think we've got a lot to get to here. And, and the reason that I'm saying that, that we need to move along with this, is because the title of today's studcast, number 274, is really different, Ron. Dueling cards, late 1970s, and looking back, that says to me, both territories, again, have some great cards. And you've got a lot, I mean, some cool history lessons coming for us. And we're going to be looking back at the past in this one. So this is going to be fun. Well, man, you're, you're getting pretty good, Dave. It's breaking <laughs> down my studcast titles, man. <laughs> Figuring out what direction we're going to be riding in this studcast. So, uh, yeah, I'm proud to say our audience is continuing to grow every show, and I'm really happy about that. And most of the time, we focus on what was going on in the ring each week, 44 years ago. And today, we're going to do that again. But since we have two territories with two totally different cards in each one every week, every stud cast, the events are literally dueling cards. So that's where I got the idea for the name of this one, uh, I start out with dueling cards, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I'm going to make it make more out of it than just the fact that we have dueling cards in every one of these episodes. I've got some plans here to uh, to uh, uh, you know I've always liked to do inter inter interactive things with the fans, and I was blessed, man, to have two territories back in the day with great talent and bookers in both of them, and. So each stud cast, if you think about it, actually has dueling cards in it. And, uh, you know, got a well, Northern Territory and a Southern Territory, two totally different cards, two totally different crews. 
So, so I kind of want to see which of the two cards in every stud cast is maybe the fans' favorite. I mean, you know, people uh, that in the Tennessee area probably uh, maybe, you know, have more pay more attention to the Tennessee card than maybe the one that's down south. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Dave, on both of my Facebook sites and on my Twitter site, I'm going to put a post, man. The day of every new studcast drops, uh, we're going to start doing that. We're going to start doing it with this one, beginning with this one. Uh, it's going to be a post, a little post, so that fans can leave their favorite studcast card pick. And they can, uh, and uh, so fans that want to participate can choose their favorite <laughs> card from each studcast. Mm-hmm. Then put, then then they can go look and find the post, which is on my wrestling social media site. And they can enter either Tennessee, if they choose the weekly Knoxville card, or Alabama, if they choose the Southeastern Gulf Coach card, whichever one they believe is the best. Uh, uh, I think it might be a little (laughs) bit interesting, and I would like to find out, uh, you know, basically, which one they do think is the best. Listen, I'm not surprised by this at all. I mean, I, I, I always know that you love to interact with the fans no matter what. So and this is a great idea, too. Fans can can really become more involved. Your already unique wrestling podcast is going to become even more unique now. Okay, I tell you what. We'll go back to this picking the card interactive idea later in the show you're going interactive again. I think that's pretty wild. The last time I remember you did that, there was a fantastic mink coat tournament earlier in 1978. That was really cool how that came off. Well, that's a, that's a great example, Dave. Uh, you know, we're also going to look back on what was happening in America. Uh, the second part of this title, hmm. uh, what was going on in America in the late 1970s as well. Uh, we'll spend some time looking at the country's history and how that related to wrestling back in the 70s. Okay, so you're always coming up with something new for us, Ron. I think that's really neat. Many of the younger fans may not know much about the late 70s. I doubt they do. I'm telling you, you are known to ride in all directions. So does this have something to do with the upcoming Knoxville War of 1979? I know that's around the corner. Well, you've been touching, you know, we've we've been touching on that subject, man, a little bit in just about every stud cast lately. And, you know, having operated two wrestling companies in the late 1970s, when I started to put this stud cast together, it kind of struck me how similar the late 1970s were to the economy we're experiencing today, man. You know, the inflation was huge, about the same as today, as a matter of fact. And fans during that era... Uh, we're having a difficult time buying a wrestling ticket each week, uh, just as things are today. Fans back then had to make a decision on where and what uh, they wanted to spend their money on. Uh, money spent on entertainment was normally the first to be eliminated. So bills obviously had to be paid first before you can consider where, how, how you're going to spend your entertainment dollar. So it was a tough time for sports back in the late 1970s, and wrestling in particular. Uh, Territories across the country were experiencing smaller crowds, and some were struggling to just survive. Uh, Wrestlers were having problems as well, struggling to survive. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in fact, the other two major wrestling companies in the state of Tennessee, Nick Gullis's Mid-American Territory out of Nashville, mm-hmm. and my father and Jerry Jarrett's Memphis Territory 
we're both having a real hard time. That's crazy because your two territories were doing really well. And I, I think I know the answer to this, but why do you think that was? Well, one of the reasons was both of our territories had big, big stars because we were one of the few wrestling companies that offered weekly pay guarantees to get them, to get those stars. We, we figured out we had to offer guarantees. And then by guarantee, uh, that meant that no matter what the size of the crowds were, those wrestlers on guarantee were never going to get paid less than the agreed upon figure that we were paying them each week. So, uh, so that was done and most not done, I can tell you, in most territories. Operating without guarantees and the big st- and, and to get big stars meant that whatever the gate was was split among all the wrestlers on the cart. And if a house was small, the payoffs were also small for all the wrestlers, including those that were accustomed to making big money. So when that big money stopped, most territories lost their big money stars. And they were jeopardizing at that point their company's future. So if you think about it, uh, how were you, how you how were you going to build your business back if you didn't have big stars? So in the late 1970s, this was where many owners found themselves uh, in the wrestling business. And in wrestling, the quality of your wrestlers they've always determined the size of your crowds. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to draw big money, you had to have great talent. Yeah, and we did. But others. Other territories around us and across the country didn't always have big stars. And other territories at this point in the late 1970s were kind of eyeing those stars that we had. And, uh, you know, we were approaching 1979 and we're, we're kind of touching again on the, one of the aspects of the 1979 Knoxville Wrestling War. Uh, and we're going to keep doing this a little bit. We're going to continue this subject next, Studcast, as we're going to touch on uh, many more interesting facets of the upcoming Knoxville 1979 war. That's really fascinating stuff, Stud. No other wrestling podcast deals with so many different aspects of the sport. I never considered like how many how many wrestler how wrestlers were paid, how inflation affected the sport and other territories potentially affecting yours. So I can't wait until we get into that 1979 time period and find out more about that historical Knoxville wrestling war that you keep teasing a little bit with. All right, but right now, let's find out what the dueling cards are in this stud cast, what that's all about. And so where do we ride now, stud? Well, it, it certainly is. That's, that's kind of what it's about. We're going to start in the Knoxville Coliseum on Friday night, November 3rd, 1978. We're going to take a look at that card, uh, the TV promoting the card, and obviously the results of that card. And then we'll talk about the attendance as well. And uh, then today we're going to also ride in the southeastern Gulf Coast uh, to Montgomery, to Mobile, and to Dothan uh, and their card. And that's why I'm calling this dueling cards. We got the one in Knoxville we're going to talk about. Then we're going to talk about the one that was in the three major markets down in the Gulf Coast. And uh, those cards were just as good as Knoxville. And um, some people may think that they're even better. And uh, obviously, we're talking about all of this in the same week back in 1978. So we'll discuss that card, the one in southeastern Gulf Coast. 
that TV show, the results of its matches, uh, the attendance of all three of those cities, and then hopefully we're going to have enough time at the end, my man, to have another learning tree. What? <laughs> all right, so this podcast has already started off with a great wrestling lesson that'll continue next week. So it sounds like we're riding into another great stud cast. And I believe we are definitely. So what was that Knoxville Coliseum card Friday night, November 3rd, 1978. Terry Gibbs man was open in the night against Ken Dillinger. Terry Gibbs is a great young talent man, uh, headed for a good future. And, uh, Ken Dillinger is a pretty good, Pretty good star himself at this point. Not used to being on the first match, but I'm sure uh, he recognized what good crew was there, and uh, he was pretty happy to be able to make some good money and still be on the first match. Then the Mass Destroyer, who most people, I think, and pretty much knew, was Bob Root uh, in a mask, and uh, he was taking on Mike Stallings. And in another bounty match, things had uh, changed dramatically, man. Uh, from what uh, the first bounty that had taken place because uh, uh, Kevin Sullivan had ended up in the hospital uh, from the night before, the match the night before, and Ron Wright had paid off his bounty money. It was Kevin's turn to put a bounty on the head of Ron Wright. Man. And, uh, and Kevin, in his own style, decided to double the money, the bounty money, from 5000 to 10000 and it was going to give it to anybody that would put Ron Wright into the hospital. And Kevin's best friend and trainer, Ken Lucas, was returning to Knoxville to do just that on this card and go for the bounty money. So there's another uh, Southeastern Tag Championship match on this card. And this time it was a Texas death match. It had lumberjack rules. Uh, wrestlers were surrounding the ring, obviously, to throw the contestants back in. That was the lumberjack part of the match. And uh, then, uh, obviously, it was a Texas death match, an extremely dangerous match. A lot of guys got hurt in those matches. Uh, and so uh, they were going to throw them back in until somebody lost the Texas death match. Uh, Jimmy Golden and Riff Smith were at this point in their third title match in a row against the champions, Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson. And obviously, those two guys were presented by Ron Wright Incorporated, man, who is now bigger than Ron Wright. He's a businessman, and he is a business. So the main event was a one-of-a-kind match. It was a 10-round boxing match between Ronnie Garvin and the great Malenko. <laughs> and, uh, and this one had a really super strange uh, clause to it. The loser of the match had to throw $500 of his own money into the crowd after the match was over. Man, that's a great card, Ron. All right, so Sullivan now had a bounty on Ron Wright, a Texas death tag match with lumberjack rules, and a boxing match where the loser had to toss 500 bucks of his own money into the crowd. That, That's a great card. All right, so let's set it up with the TV show six days before this card. Well, the TV opened with Les. He's sitting at the set with Ron Wright and the Mass Destroyer sitting next to Ron Wright. Everybody thought, uh, I mean, was pretty sure that was Bob Roop. And uh, behind Ron Wright stood his two uh, 
uh, Southeastern Tag Champions, Condry and Nickerson. They had their belts around the waist. And uh, on the big set in the background, the steel shot that we opened a lot of shows with, most shows with, as a matter of fact, had a shot of Kevin Sullivan being rolled out of the Coliseum the night before on his way to the hospital. Uh, Ron Wright, uh, Les said, uh, when Les and I talked about this one, uh, he said he was, man, beaming with pride like a peacock, man, sitting there on the set. And all three of his guys were patting him on the back and celebrating his success. And, uh, and then he started out by saying he was on top of the wrestling world. And he had attained everything he wanted. <laughs> His tag team was still champions. Kevin Sullivan was now in the hospital. His destroyer was one of the men responsible for it. And Tor Tanaka, the other one, was now gone from Southeastern. But he had a pocket full of cash, man. So Les could hardly get in a word, which wasn't unusual, Ron Wright being on the set with you. And uh, as the stretcher video ended, uh, then Les started the second video. And this one showed how Tanaka had attacked Kevin Sullivan during the course of the match in which they were partners and uh, left Sullivan laying and just left the ring and went to the dressing room. And then it showed the destroyer finished the job. He snatched Kevin up, threw him over his shoulder, gave him that shoulder breaker. And, uh, wow, that's all it took, man, to have him headed to the hospital. And Les was having uh, no luck, man, getting control of Ron Wright's continuing celebration at this point. So when the second video was done, Les introduced a third one that Wright wasn't aware of what was going to happen in this third video. So Les told me that uh, he thought when the, he showed this one to Ron that Ron was going to be kind of caught off guard and he was going to he wasn't going to know how, he wasn't going to be so happy about it. You know, and, and when it started, the video started, it showed Ron Wright paying Tor Tanaka and the Destroyer in the back of the Coliseum uh, from the night before, after they had sent Kevin to the hospital. But even this one didn't stop Ron Wright. He, he was so proud of what he had done. Uh, and, he, you know, we told last time, I'm proud I sent that Yankee punk, Kevin Sullivan, uh, to the hospital. And my corporations now is just rolling in the money. So third straight video ended and Les, you know, hadn't hardly gotten in a word and Wright got up uh, surrounded by his guys and they started uh, to take their celebration back to the dressing room. And Les asked Wright, please uh, Ron, if you don't mind, sit down for one more video. And uh, because Wright had had such a good time, this was all great, man. Look, my deal is I'm on top of the world. And uh, so he said, sure, I'll sit back down. You got another one? Let's let's see it. So this one opened, obviously, uh, uh, with somebody he wasn't expecting. And there there was Kevin Sullivan. And uh, and he was laying in a hospital bed. Uh, he had his right shoulder wrapped real tightly to his body, which is what happens when you get a shoulder injury. And uh, then uh, all four of Les's guests at that point uh, – they broke up in laughter. This was really good. You know, there's Kevin and he's not saying anything yet. He's just laying in the hospital bed and all, all taped up and wrapped up. And uh, so Les, you know, finally uh, they were laughing like crazy and Les got him calmed down. And then he asked the director to play the video. He told Ron Wright, I think you, you better listen to what he has to say. So Kevin began, man, uh, by admitting the fact right off the top of it that Ron Wright's bounty had finally got the job done. 
And uh, but he said, now it's now it's my turn. And he said that him and his father had finally his father, had, uh, you know, he called his father. Obviously, he's in the hospital. And and uh, he, he said, my father's finally found out what's been going on down here. You know, and uh, I haven't been talking to him. He didn't know anything about the bounty. And uh, and he said, uh, and I want to let him know that I'd, I'd been hurt and I was in the hospital. And he said, uh, me and my father talked and, and we made a deal. And uh, so uh, at this point, right, and his men, boy, less said, they suddenly shut up. You know, it's like, wow, wait, what's this all about? And uh, so then Kevin con- continued and he said that, uh, you know, two men could play the bounty game and that his father was sending him $10,000, twice what Ron Wright's bounty was. And they were making a public bounty offering today that anyone who put Ron Wright in the hospital was going to get that $10,000. So Wright started screaming, you know, right off, you know, hey, they can't do that. You know, Les had had enough. He'd, he'd, he'd heard nothing but Ron Wright in the whole first part of the show. So he said, I got upset. He said, I slammed my fist on the desk, Ron. I said, shut up. Right. So Kevin continued on and saying, you know, he said, obviously he couldn't go get the money. But the wrestler who had trained him uh, from the very start uh, had, had gone and got it from his father last night. And the wrestler had driven all night from Boston to get to the TV show today, which is, you know, hours later. The show is starting about noon. And that he's going to be watching the TV show, Kevin, talking about himself. He's going to watch the TV show from the hospital bed because he and Les had talked. And and Les is going to show fans uh, in this very first television match who the first guy to get the shot at Ron Wright's bounty money is. So Les said Ron Wright, who was now finally dead silent at this point, you know, said uh, – so Les continued, and he said, next Friday night, he goes, i got to tell you, and I've talked to, uh, to the, the, the officials of Southeastern, mm-hmm. Don Curtis, everybody else, that next Friday night that uh, you're going to be in the ring with this guy, and any of your men, try any of them, try to interfere in the bounty match uh, that, you know, may send you to the hospital. Uh, you know, Kevin Sullivan, you sent him there. So they said, if you, any of your men interfere, your career and all the men that you have with you here today are going to be finished in Southeastern for good. The studio crowd loved it. They popped, right? So, uh, you know, less than kind of signal for the bell in the first match of the show. And, uh, you know, uh, basically here's the guy that's going to get the first shot at you. And uh, out of out of the dressing room came one of the longtime Knoxville stars, man. For years before Southeastern, before I got there, mm-hmm. uh, he was a big star there, and he was making his debut. This is his first match ever for Southeastern, and uh, Ken Lucas hit the ring. Oh man. wow! Yeah, the studio man, uh, they exploded, and so did Ron Wright and his men. <laughs> They they were like, oh, so all four of them, man, just headed straight for the ring. They were all four going to attack him, I guess was the plan. But uh, Ronnie Garvin, Jimmy Golden, Rip Smith, Mike Stallings, a bunch of baby faces came out of the dressing room, got between them and Ken Lucas. And uh, so 
it was a pretty pretty good start, I'd say, to a show. Fairly decent. Yeah, kind of turned them boys back a little bit. All right, so that is a great start to, for a TV show. That's really good. I loved Ken Lucas. I always thought he was one of the best. He was a huge star in Gulf Coast as well. But I, I never knew he was also a star in Tennessee. So how do you? But how do you follow that? Well, Golden Smith got another win in the second match. They were in a tag match after that. Obviously, uh, Lucas got him a big win. The uh, crowd really loved that fact. And then uh, next came Golden and Smith, and they got themselves a win uh, on the second match. And then they made an interview about their upcoming Southeastern Tag Championship match. Texas Death rules. Texas Death Lumberjack rules. Uh, well, they... They really uh, got into what they were going to be doing and uh, their chances of winning back their Southeastern Tag Championships. Uh, Malenko was on the personality profile, and he came in bragging about his boxing background. Uh, but he was very angry about the fact that if he lost in his boxing match against Ronnie Garvin, that he was going to have to throw $500 to his own his own money to a bunch of hillbillies. How <laughs> <laughs> humiliated for him to throw his money out to these hillbillies, man. Yes. <laughs> so then Ron Wright and his championship tag team were in the third TV match, and his tag champions obviously got another victory. And then him and his men took the entire third interview, and um, mostly about Ron Wright's bounty match and how he wasn't right talking about how he wasn't really a wrestler anymore and and now he was a businessman and you know and and anybody putting a bounty on him that was illegal he thought you know i mean why why what's he have the right to do that even though there's kevin in the hospital and uh, then he ended up by saying he was having his lawyers right now going down there right now and have them get an injunction to stop this match next friday so that it doesn't even occur, <laughs> you know, he, he's a big businessman at this point, yeah. uh, and he's he's gonna he's gonna his money's gonna take care of him. So then Ronnie Garvin closed out the show. He got a, another win to jump off the top rope somebody's throat, and uh, <laughs> made, made another great interview about his upcoming boxing match, you know, and uh, and the fact that that how he was going to enjoy watching that Russian throw his money. <laughs> to the fans that clap for Ron all night long. <laughs> all right, that's great TV stud. So what happened the following Friday night at the Coliseum? It had to be a big one. Well, Kevin Sullivan, you know, uh, uh, he was unable to appear at the Coliseum at all, obviously. He spent uh, three, four days in the hospital. Uh, and then uh, Terry Gibbs uh, opened that first match. Uh, he won his match against Ken Dillinger. Uh, Mike Stallings uh, won by DQ over the Destroyer, who was the masked Bob Roop, basically. Uh, and Ken Lucas got the victory over Ron Wright. Uh, when the referee counted Ron Wright out because he ran from the ring in the first 10 minutes of the bounty match. So Ron came out there, made kind of an appearance, and Lucas got on him, and he basically ran to the dressing room, and that was the end of the bounty match. He counted him out. So, you know, uh, nobody, I'm sure, was surprised by that, but I don't think he's going to be able to continue that process. Uh, then Ron Wright's tag champions. They retained their belts. 
against, uh, you know, and Dennis Condry, man, uh, in this match, obviously, there were lumberjacks outside the ring. And and so uh, somewhere in this match, uh, Condry was thrown out of the ring on one side of the ring, and Jimmy Golden uh, was, was uh, thrown out on the other side of the ring. And all the lumberjacks, except for Ron Wright, started fighting on the Condry side of the ring. Once uh, the bad thing about these lumberjack matches is sometimes the guys that were on the floor supposed to be throwing people back in started fighting each other. And uh, so that's kind of what happened. And uh, all the attention's over there. The referee is over there. And Ron Wright sneaks around. There's Jimmy Golden on the concrete laying there. And he, uh, he picks him up. Powell drives him on the concrete, throws him back into the ring. And uh, obviously, Jimmy wasn't able to, to get up after that. And, uh, and because it's a Texas death match, they counted him out. Uh, they, they, and then they uh, had the 30-second rest period, and they counted to 10. He wasn't able to get to his feet. So that was the end of that, uh, that big match. Uh, so then the great Malenko man, uh, he didn't prove to be a great boxer like he said he was on the personality profile. Uh, the destroyer showed up at ringside during his match, and uh, he decided he needed to come down to second Malenko uh, because it was a boxing match. <laughs> and uh, when that happened, Ken Lucas was in the back of the building. He saw what was happening, and, uh, and he came down, and he decided he's going to second Garvin for the rest of this boxing match. <laughs> And then Lucas and the Destroyer got into it, and uh, that kind of drew the referee away from what was going on in the ring. And when the referee got out of the picture, Ronnie Garvin took his boxing glove off, his right hand, uh-huh. and, uh, and he proved, man, how he earned that nickname, Fist of Stone, and he knocked Malenko cold, man. <laughs> Put his boxing glove back on. The referee came, counted Malenko out, and uh, so... So that had a pretty good ending in it for the fans, I would say. They probably liked that. Yeah, but I bet the fans liked the $500. What happened with the 500 bucks that was going to be thrown to the fans by Malenko? Well, so Wes told me, he said, that was probably the most dangerous part of the whole night. For the <laughs> oh, no. company, at least. He said, uh, Malenko didn't get out of the ring to throw the money. He stayed in the ring, and he said, the fans came surrounded the ring, man, and they waited, and they and then he said when he started throwing the money that the fans were scuffling and fighting each other for the cash. And, uh, wow. You know, uh, it could have easily been a disaster, Celeste said. Uh, he suggested <laughs> and never have another one of those. <laughs> no doubt. All right. What about attendance? Well, it was 4,600. Uh, and the 5,000-plus attendance uh, string that we had going in the Coliseum, and uh, we hadn't hit that for about six weeks in a row at this point. Mm-hmm. So it was a little, we were dropping a little bit in Knoxville. And it was also the sixth straight week that uh, this card, cards had only five matches on them. Oh. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to take a look at all these cards and looking back on the situation mm-hmm. uh, with this upcoming war for Knoxville. And, uh, and it's one of the things I've noticed already that uh, was a big change from what it had been. Oh, no doubt. All right. Really great start to this one. So this is a good spot for a break. Let's do that. Stud. When we come back, it's going to be Southeastern Gulf Coast time. We'll find out what the Gulf Coast card was in the dueling cards battle that we mentioned earlier in this episode. 
That's coming up when we get back on this studcast right here. Stay with us. This is the time of year when brooders arrived at the zoo near the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Take a ride into the mind of the Tennessee stud. The lion's explosive introduction was only the beginning of a nation's nightmare. This story is spellbinding and regularly compared to Jaws. Get it on Ron's website at tnstud.com. tnstud.com. Click Stud Store. $19.99 for the book only. $29.99 autographed to you personally and free shipping. You can also find it on Amazon. Brutus Novel. Please leave reviews on Amazon Brutus Novel. Prepare yourself for an experience like no other. Okay, welcome back, Studcast fans. David Summers with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Another Studcast, episode number 274, Dueling Cards, late 1970s, looking back. So we're now in the southeastern Gulf Coast territory. The big card here was also going to be seen in Montgomery, Mobile, and Dothan, Alabama between October 30th and November 3rd, 1978. So what was on that card, Rod? Well, it opened up with a pretty popular kid, man, uh, Ricky Fields, uh, who is the son of one of the Fields, the three Fields brothers that I purchased uh, Gulf Coast Territory from. Uh, that's why we're down there in that part of the country. And uh, Ricky worked for us on a lot of cards there uh, in the early days. And he was taking on a guy named El Diablo. Uh, Roy Lee Welch uh, had his first match last uh, stud cast down there in the southeastern Gulf Coast. Uh, Has another one this week. And last week he wrestled against Gorgeous George Jr. in the opening match. And uh, they wrestled to a 20-minute draw. Uh, I watched the match. I thought it was a great match. And I said, geez, we got to do this again. Let's add 10 more minutes to it. So they're going at it again, Roy Lee Welch against Gorgeous George Jr. in the second match on the card this time, and it's going to have a special 30-minute time limit. Then the wrestling pro, who's a big name right there in the, the Dothan area for sure, yeah, and uh, all across that south, uh, that southeastern Gulf Coast area. Uh, the wrestling pro was facing off against one of the greats, man, Norvell Austin, Uh so uh, this, uh, this is just one of those cards. We're going to be talking about these cards, uh, which kind of comparing the cards. So then the next match on this one was a Southeastern Invention, actually. We called it uh, an all-against-all-four-corners match. And each man uh, went to the ring. They all picked a corner. They stayed there in the corner until they got tagged in. Uh, two guys in the ring at a time. Any of the four wrestlers could tag any other man they wanted to was out on the apron. And these were really exciting matches. They were really different, and they usually last most of the time well over a half hour, sometimes close to an hour. Hmm. And the winner of this one was going to get a $1,000 bonus above what his regular pay would be. David Schultz was in this four-corner match. Charlie Cook, uh, the newcomer that had just arrived in the last episode from Europe, Sir Winston and Greg Peterson, local guy down in the Dothan area, great great wrestler, mm-hmm. was also in it. So those were the four in the four corners match. Then the next match on the card was the Southeastern Championship match. The Southeastern champion, the Mongolian Stomper, managed by Gorgeous George Jr., was going to be defending his title against my brother, 
Robert Fuller, I was gone. Mm -hmm. I had lost a loser lead town. I was no longer going to be down there. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rob was going to be seconded by my father, buddy. And then the Southeastern Tag Belts are in the main event. With, uh, and those that are owned by Bob Armstrong and Tony Charles. And they were going to be on the line against a brand new team, Don Carson, and the assassin number one managed by Billy Spears. Assassin number two was gone. He had lost the match <laughs> last week, too. So guards changing a little bit. Talent's changing a little bit. Yeah, but that's still a really good six-match six card, no doubt. Two title matches, a four-corners match. So what was on the Southeastern Gulf Coast TV to promote this card and set it all up? Well, it opened with the Southeastern champion for a change, Mongolian Stomper. Uh, but this time, uh, you know, it appeared uh, he this time he didn't uh, create the pandemonium that he normally created because he's at the set when the show opened. And he was there uh, with his uh, manager, Gorgeous George Jr., and uh, he's wearing his belt on this this particular opening of the show. And obviously, Charlie Platt's uh, hosting the show. And uh, they watched a man. It's a very impressive win uh, from the night before in Dothan, Alabama, uh, against Mr. Wrestling Number 2, who was a tremendous star at this point in 1978. And a huge crowd at that event made, made that match look even better. So when the video was over, man, the, the stomper didn't miss his opportunity entirely to create pandemonium because uh, no one expected him to go to the ring for the first match. But uh, as soon as they finished the video, he headed not just for the ring, but he headed straight toward the bleachers and all the fans that were there. <laughs> and uh, here we went again, man. Uh, everybody <laughs> ran uh, pandemonium again in the studio. I mean... He was enjoying this game. It's becoming a regular thing for him. <laughs> uh, so then uh, Gorgeous George Jr. and uh, uh, he obviously got a win <laughs> without saying. He just stomped somebody to pieces. And then uh, Gorgeous George Jr. and the stomper, they took the entire first interview. And Gigi uh, uh, knew my father was involved. He's going to be managing Rob or at least in Rob's corner. And he warned my dad that, to not get involved in his stompers match, uh, even if he needed to, to try to help his, his young son, that his older son, Ron, was already gone, and that the other kid was going <laughs> to be following him if he wasn't very careful. And, uh, and then he told my dad, he said his Mongolian stomper was unlike anything my father had ever seen. Uh, that an old wrestler had never seen the likes of this. And before he and his stomper uh, uh, would love to get the reputation, uh, you know, uh, of running another fuller out of the Gulf Coast, man. So he was looking forward to uh, basically looking forward to the match and warning my dad that you need to be careful about what happens in this upcoming event. Uh, then Don Carson, uh, assassin number one, and Billy Spears came to the set next. Uh, they had watched uh, this crazy loser league match in which I had been pinned and run out of the Gulf Coast, basically by Don Carson. And a great deal uh, of the end of the match was, was not shown. They picked and picked the pieces that they wanted to show, and uh, they were going to create a team. Don Carson had, find, had picked, uh, had uh, joined Assassin Number 1. Billy Spears had uh, 
gladly decided that he would like to uh, to be the man to handle the, the two of them. And uh, assassin number one had lost his partner, and Don Carson, I guess, was ready to get into tag matches. So um, that became a new combination, basically, in this program here. And uh, so, uh, so they went to the ring for their very first match after this. And, uh, and as a tag team, uh, they had, obviously, Billy Spears in their corner. Carson and the Assassin Man proved to be a, a very potent combination. Wow, they look really good, according to uh, according to Rob, who watched this obviously very very closely. Uh, Don Carson uh, used his manager Billy Spears uh, in the match to kind of draw the referee away, gave him an opportunity to load his glove, and then obviously he busted a young wrestler with it and. Had him bleeding, and then the assassin, for the first time since he'd been in the territory, they'd been there for about eight months at this point, he won He won the match with the sleeper hole. He had never used, never seen him use a sleeper hole yet. So uh, Rob said he was very surprised to see him do that move. Then Don Carson, uh, at the same time, covered the other the other wrestler who was his buddy, and he got a pinfall. One guy was put to sleep. The other was counted out. Uh, so they went to the set uh, for the second interview, and Billy bragged about uh, what they were going to do in the following week. Uh, they were they had a Southeastern Tag Championship match in their very first tryout, basically. And the match they had just had on TV was the very first time they ever wrestled as partners. They looked pretty darn good, Rob said. And uh, now they're going to be trying for the championship against uh, Bob Armstrong and Tony Charles. And uh, Spears, as usual, ran his mouth about how potent this team was and uh, and it, that the former assassin team was very good. But uh, this one was willing to do anything to win. And uh, they were going to surprise everybody. And, and it might just start today. He finished the interview saying, you know, this team here is going to surprise you all. And, uh, and you might just uh, see some of that today. So then uh, my brother and, my, and uh, my father were on the personality profile, and they watched the same video that uh, had been shown by Spears and uh, Carson and the Assassin, uh, in which Carson uh, ended up winning the match against me for the loser leave town. Uh, but it showed a completely different part of the match than what Spears and Carson and Assassin had shown. Uh, this video was shot in Mobile in front of 7,000-plus fans in the auditorium. And, uh, wow, the fans just made an amazing amount of noise during the course of this match. Uh, this match, uh, once they showed their part of it, Rob and Dad, it was it had seven wrestlers involved in, in having me beaten and ending up beating me. And, uh, and uh, so Don Carson, uh, you know, said he owed his uh, – a lot of his victory in this big match uh, to his new partner, the assassin number one, and uh, and his great manager, Billy Spears. And obviously Spears and Carson were polishing each other's knobs, man. They were they were really, really like a lifelong friends. So <laughs> this and there was in a personality profile. So my dad, you know, uh, he had an opportunity opportunity to talk, uh, you know, just to just point blank with uh, Charlie about some things. And mm -hmm. he told Charlie how uh, my loss had really affected him that, you know, uh, and, and because of the fact, you know, he said, uh, 
He hated to see his two sons being separated. And now Rob was kind of by himself down there in that part of the country. And there was a lot of dangerous wrestlers in that part of the country down there. And so he promised Rob, who was there with him on the set, that he was going to be in his corner the next week to see to it that Rob got a fair shot at the Southeastern Championship and the belt. And uh, he assured him that Gorgeous George Jr. was not going to cost him a victory, that's for sure. <laughs> so then uh, the profile was was done live. Uh, Rob said the fans were really behind the two of them, him and Dad. And he was surprised how much he was get over. He'd only been there six weeks in a new territory. And he said, wow, Ron, I was, I was, uh, the reception was really great. <laughs> no doubt. All right. So there was a lot of history with your family in the Gulf Coast Territory, even though you'd only been there for eight months and your brother for only a few weeks. I think a lot of it had to do with, with your dad, of course. Well, he certainly had some legendary matches there. That's for sure. One of them 20 years earlier. Uh, when about, they had about 40,000 fans in Ladd Memorial Football Stadium to watch him take on Mario Glento. Legendary. And, yeah, in a match that, uh, you know, uh, it was refereed by the former world boxing champion, Joe Lewis. So, you know, what a what a threesome that was. And, uh, wow, yeah, he, he did have a big history there. Hey, that, that's the match I was thinking about. And listen, if you have an opportunity to find that on one of the stud cast or super stud cast, I wish I could tell you exactly which one that that's a legendary story and it goes way back. And it's, it's really one of the, one of the hallmarks of your family's history. All right. So what was next on that TV? Well, Rob got a win in preparation, man, for his Southeastern title shot to Mongolian stomper the next week. Then the Southeastern Tag Champions, Bob Armstrong, Tony Charles, they went to the set with Charlie Platt, and uh, they watched the win that they had had uh, on Monday night. Now, this, we had shown a, a, a video from Dothan. We had shown a video from Mobile, and now they're showing a video from Montgomery, Alabama, which is the third different city that had a video on this one TV show. And uh, this video was shot, man, in that beautiful Civic Center. It had a beautiful building downtown Montgomery. And uh, it had a big crowd in this video, too. And uh, these videos, man, showing those big crowds from all these, from several different arenas, it really was helping to grow the company down there. Now, as much as the matches themselves, people seeing these huge crowds want to be a part of it. They want to come and see, geez, what is all this about? So in the video, uh, Bob and Tony, uh, they're defending their belts against David Schultz and the newcomer from Europe, Sir Winston. And uh, uh, Bob and, uh, and Tony were a great team, man. And, and they look like it, boy. Uh, so uh, David Schultz, uh, as, as was a normal thing for Schultz, uh, he actually left his partner alone in the ring, went to the dressing room. <laughs> I guess he didn't like what Sir Winston was getting done. And obviously, Bob Armstrong put <laughs> Sir Winston out like a light man with his sleeper hole. Uh, he had no pity on him. Then Armstrong and Charles went to the ring for the last match of the show. And they were about to finish that match and finish their opponents off when Don Carson, the assassin, and Billy, Spain, Billy Spears decided that uh, it's a great opportunity to sneak up on somebody. 
Billy mentioned some kind of surprise, and this is what happened, I guess. Hmm. So when the, this happened, when they all three hit the ring, the studio went crazy, obviously. Uh, Billy Spears threw the referee over the top rope. Then him and Carson uh, threw Bob over the top rope. And then the assassin and Spears, they held Tony Charles. Carson loaded his glove, and he nailed him with it. Uh, wow. Uh, which uh, – it, it wasn't a first for that, for sure. And uh, so then, uh, then the assassin and Spears, uh, you know, uh, the Tony went down, obviously bleeding, and Bob had to get a chair, man, to be able to even get back in the ring and to stop him from further injuring Tony. And then the last interview show was, was obviously at this point was very heated. Because the studio crowd uh, had a lot, had made a lot of that happen. They were really, really upset about it. Bob was there on the set with uh, Tony Charles, who was bloody, and uh, and they said that uh, that uh, this was going to be a simple title defense. They thought against uh, the Carson, the assassin, and and Billy Spears, but they said now it was this is not going to be a simple deal now. Bob said he and Tony's belts were at stake and Carson and the assassin and Billy Spears butts were at stake. (laughs) (laughs) Their rear ends are in a lot of trouble, basically. So the show ended with David Schultz. He came to the set uh, and uh, he had not forgotten about losing that TV trophy uh, weeks back uh, to Tony Charles. And he, right there on TV, challenged Tony Charles to defend his TV trophy against him next week on TV. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, since Charles hadn't defended it since he won it, <laughs> so it's about time he defends it against somebody and it ought to be me. Yeah. So Tony, being the being the upstanding dude he was, he just came right straight to the set. He's still bleeding. He's wiping blood off of his face. Mm-hmm. And he says, hey, I'll be glad to accept his challenge. You know, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, so uh, it ended up to be another pretty decent deal, man. I just figured that one out. The next, <laughs> the next TV, the was the first week in November TV rating period of 1978. Did I get that right? Yeah, you did, my man. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. You're right. We're in November. It's raining right. period, not just down there in southeastern Gulf Coast, but yeah. up there in Knoxville as well. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're gonna start this uh, this one off with a good good audience, man. And uh, putting David Schultz in there against Tony Charles for the TV trophy uh, is gonna be a good way to start out the, that month of November's rating period. Yeah, that'll work for you. All right. So, what happened to the matches the following week with this really big card? Well. Ricky Fields, man, who who was a great little wrestler, man, and uh, well liked by the fans. Uh, he got him a win over El Diablo. Uh, Roy Lee Welch won over Gorgeous George Jr., but that 30-minute time limit went right down to the end. He won with about 30 seconds left in the 30-minute time limit. Roy got his win over Gorgeous George Jr. Norville Austin got his hand raised with a win over the wrestling pro. And the four-corner match, uh, with the winner getting a thousand, was just about everything those matches were, were expected to be. While wow, they could be really wonderful, but this one was perfect, except it didn't have a winner. Charlie Cook and David Schultz ended up with the last two in the ring, and uh, once they got to end, got to that point, all hell broke loose, and 
Charlie Cook ended up bleeding. The match had to be stopped at the end, and those two are going to probably return against them, each other in the next week, and uh, and then, then we'll find out who's going to win that $1,000 bonus prize. Uh, Robert and the Stomper had a very competitive match. Uh, that was won by Rob on disqualification. Uh, Gigi got involved, and when he did, so did my father. And uh, all four of those guys were going to be come back the next week in a tag match. And then Don Carson and the Assassin, managed by Billy Spears, against all odds, man, against two great wrestlers. Uh, Billy Spears pulled everything he could out of the hat, and uh, mm-hmm. and they won the Southeastern Tag Belts from Bob Armstrong and Tony Charles. Wow. Okay. All right, but what about attendance? For all three major markets, we're talking Montgomery, Mobile, and Dothan. Well, the Montgomery Civic Center, man, had 3,800 people, which is, uh, you know, that building probably held maybe five, uh, but... Mm-hmm. Wow, it looked it looked pretty darn full. Uh, Mobile was in the smaller building, Expo Hall, and uh, and we were limited there because it only held about five thousand to five fifty five to fifty five hundred. Uh, it had fifty two hundred in it. Wow. Uh, and then uh, Dothan had four thousand nine hundred, almost five thousand in <laughs> it. So we were just under fourteen thousand uh, in those three cities, as compared to seventeen thousand the week before. Why do you think there was such a drop in attendance? What, what do you think happened? Or, Well, the biggest reason, I think, was the difference in Mobile. Uh, because uh, last week, we were in the big building, man, and we did, we did uh, 7,300 people mm-hmm. the week before. Now, this time, we're in a smaller building that only holds around 5,000. So that knocked us down about 2,000 uh, people right there. So... And we even turned away a few people in Expo Hall. But uh, that alone made a difference of about 2,000 fans in the total of those of those three cities together. Hmm. All right. So th- this has really been another great one, Stud. All right. We're going to have time for our learning tree question. But before we ride there, I want to make sure fans that want to participate in your new dueling card picks Know what to do. So explain it again as briefly as possible, as concisely as you can. Well, basically, uh, you if you want to participate and you want to take part in it, you pick your favorite wrestling card from one of the two that's on every stud cast. We have an, a Knoxville card. We have a card in the Gulf Coast. Uh, you pick your favorite two, and uh, you pick uh, either you take the you, you pick the Tennessee Territory card mm-hmm. or the Gulf Coast Alabama Territory card. Uh, you, then you go to my Facebook sites or my Twitter page, and you find the Dueling Cards post. I'm going to leave a post there and mm-hmm. says here's where you put your choice, and uh, and a little I'll even say uh, the Studcast number. And I'm probably going to do this every week. We'll see how this works and how fans like it. And uh, that's where you're going to respond. You leave your pick by re- just writing on the on that post. Uh, you pick either Tennessee or Alabama, uh, whichever card you think is the best card. I think it's going to be very interesting just to see uh, what fans, uh, what particular territory they think is maybe the best at that point. 
Yeah, and let's keep our minds out of football and into wrestling when you're talking about Tennessee and Alabama. You, 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 come on. Come on. <laughs> All right. That's really easy, though. That's simple. So I'm going to be giving the – we'll be giving the information on how you can become friends or a Twitter follower after the Learning Tree question. That's coming up, so we'll make sure you can get connected on social media with the stud. All right, this one comes – on the, on the learning tree question, it comes from a gentleman named Jason Haney. He asked, I have a grandson that I want to be, that I want to be trained like you and your brother. He's going to start wrestling in school in about a year. What advice do you have for someone who wants to make a career of wrestling? I wish you, and I wish he would have said how old his grandson is, but anyway, interesting question. Yeah, very, very good question. Uh, and I think it's one of the first we've had about something like this. Uh, so, uh, well, Mr. Haney, I think it was. Mr. Haney, uh, uh, bear in mind, my brother and I, we grew up in a wrestling family. You know, it's a, it's been a long time since my brother and I were trained. And, uh, and the sport also has changed dramatically since then. Since the time we, my brother and I, started, uh, and you mentioned your grandson is about to start wrestling in school, and uh, you know I agree with you, Dave. He didn't say exactly how old he is, but uh, the plans are for for his grandson to to obviously become a wrestler in school, and that's a great place for anybody that really wants to become a fresh professional wrestler to start. Uh, right there at a young age and professional wrestling obviously is totally different from amateur wrestling but uh, your grandson will learn a lot in school and, and but it'll, it'll help him too to decide if wrestling is something he's interested in you know if he starts out as an amateur uh, he may find out uh, because it's an extremely physical sport man wrestling is maybe the most physical of all sports uh, especially for those amateurs. And it, and it's certainly not for everybody. So, you know, he starts in school, he'll get an idea of whether this is something that he wants to pursue. And, and if he makes it uh, through high school as a wrestler, and then if he's good enough to possibly become a college wrestler in some university, uh, I'm sure he's going to know at that point whether he wants to become a professional wrestler and whether it's for him or not. Uh, the pro sport, like I said, is di totally different from the amateur sport. But knowing basic wrestling is never going to hurt his chances, I'll tell you that. Uh, if he knows some wrestling, uh, that's very important. And then the rest of it is based upon having himself a good trainer. Uh, and if he makes it that far, if he has the size, if he has the look, if he's got the attitude to be a professional wrestler, uh, I'm not an expert uh, nowadays on where the best trainers in today's wrestling are, but for anyone looking for quality training, I'd highly recommend, man, a company that's just down the road from me in Knoxville, Tennessee. It's run by Glenn Jacobs, who is uh, all fans that uh, recognize that name. That's WWE's Kane. And, uh, and, and the trainer in this uh, company is Dr. Tom Pritchard, man, one of the best wrestlers that basically ever worked in, in, any, in, in any and all of my wrestling companies. <laughs> so uh, they train classes there in the facility that's made just for training wrestlers. Uh, it, it goes year-round, and Dr. Tom has a 
real handle on what it takes, man, to make it to the big time. And and uh, I'm even going to. I've got the uh, <laughs> the site, uh, their website. So uh, and if you want to contact them, Mr. Haney, uh, they're at jpwrestlingacademy.com. And uh, and uh, I hope you. I hope this helps you, Mr. Haney, and and then possibly finding a wonderful future for your grandson. If wrestling is really what he's looking for, man, and uh, and I, that's a big question mark right there. Uh, uh, not many people are cut out for it. Well, that's a great answer to the question, Ron, and a great finish to another studcast. Absolutely. Okay, folks on Facebook, for listeners who would like to participate in the dueling cards pick in today's studcast, but are not already friends with Ron, you become friends and participate by going to the Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud Facebook page. The Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud Facebook page. Like him, follow him there, and automatically become friends with a legend. Look for his Studcast number 274 post. This is number 274, and make your choice. It's as simple as that. On Twitter, find him on Twitter at Ron Fuller Welch, and follow him there. That's another way to participate. Look for this Studcast number 274 post to make your choice. The YouTube channel is Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. It's filled with all kinds of information, videos, and studcasts. It's also a great place to find out more about what's new on his tremendous streaming channel called ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com is where you find everything that is the Tennessee stud. His old-school Southeastern Continental and USA TV shows now number in the hundreds. There are six two-hour stars of the sport. Super Studcast with Andre the Giant, Mankind, Mick Foley, Ron Wright, Bob Armstrong, Ronnie Garvin, and former NWA champ Terry Funk and Stan Hansen. All with photos from beginning to end. It's all right there. Chapters 9 and 10 of Ron's thrilling lion story, Brutus, is now there too in audio form. Four superstars of the past episodes are up, three three-hour documentaries, and well over 300 hours of fascinating wrestling entertainment, and it grows weekly. You can subscribe now, begin the wrestling ride of your life. Only $4.99 per month, $39.99 per year gets you the best old-school wrestling streaming channel on the planet. Don't forget, the one-week free trial still available. It is the best deal in wrestling. All right, where do we ride next week, Stud? Well, we're headed, man, in the southeastern Knoxville, uh, and we're going to find Kevin Sullivan. is uh, He's going to be at the building, but he's not going to be able to wrestle yet. Uh, he's actually going to be handcuffed to Ron Wright, as Ronnie Garvin and Ken Lucas uh, wrestled the great Malenko and the Destroyer. Uh, Jimmy Golden and Rip Smith, they're basically going to put it all on the line in the next one, as well as uh, Ron Wright's tag champions. Uh, it's going to be uh, one final championship match. The winner gets the belts, and the losing team splits as a team for at least a year. So that's going to be the end of that uh, rivalry, and we're going to find out who's going to walk away with the belts. And then we'll talk about the rating period. Uh, uh, TV, uh, during this month of November 1978, 
Uh, we'll talk about uh, how that TV promotes the card, the results of the matches, and the attendance. Uh, plus, we'll continue the historic conversation that we started today about uh, another nearby territory in the 1978 uh, time frame that wasn't doing so well and was beginning to consider taking advantage of my company, Southeastern, to save themselves, basically. So uh, some real wrestling intrigue in the next weeks. And then we're going to head to Southeastern Gulf Coast. A new tag team combination has obviously surprised everybody. Uh, you know, Carson and the Assassin now have won the tag championship and basically the first try. Uh, also, um, the Fullers, my, my father and my brother, uh, are going to have uh, some team struggles uh, and hanging on there. My dad's going to my dad's going to have to make some big decisions. And uh, and then you got Schultz and Cook. Their feud's going to begin six months after it ended, basically, long time back. So we'll discuss the, basically the November TV rating period in Southeastern Gulf Coast, how it related to the cards and the house shows, and how it promoted those cards uh, in the three major cities as well. So uh, hopefully after all that, we'll have enough time for another learning tree too, Dave. So uh, everyone, I uh, want to thank you all for your continued support, and I hope you join me for this week's Doolin Cards Pick. Uh, let's just see uh, how that's going to work and uh, and then please tell your friends and neighbors about us and what we do here and take care of yourselves and others and may God bless us all for Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com this studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud LLC thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast the true story continues next week so full Nelson your friends and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee stud this is David Summers saying so long from the great smoky mountains